0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Jake Steele here. This is the Iron and Steel Podcast. Thank you, as always, for joining me once again this week. I've got another great story to tell you. I can't wait to get to that. But uh, first things first, really quick, and then we'll jump right into the story. Um, two things, maybe three, I can't remember. Uh, first things first ironandsteel.com. Go to the website, click subscribe, punch in your email. Uh, it just takes a minute. It doesn't even take a minute, it just takes like 10 seconds, actually. And uh, yeah, click subscribe. You're going to be on my email subscribers list. I'm going to send you a message maybe once a week to remind you that there's fresh content. Um, There's a new article on podcast every Tuesday morning. And um, about every other Tuesday morning, I remember to sit down and send an email blast out. So uh, the stakes are low. Just, uh, yeah, do that for me. That'd be great. Also, uh, the podcast, wherever you're listening to this right now. Click subscribe, click follow, whatever the case is. I don't remember, but, uh, yeah, just make sure you're following or subscribed on the podcast too, so that you'll get an alert to remind you that there's a new episode, which is again, every Tuesday morning. All right. And then, uh, Oh, the other thing, keep your stories coming in. Uh, Jake at IronandSteel.com. If you have an old car related story, uh, something cool that happened to you, um, a relative that Got you interested in cars, uh, a show you enjoyed, uh, you know, whatever. If it's old car related and important to you in any way, I want to tell your story right here on this podcast. Uh, So send it through jake at ironandsteel.com is the email address. And uh, if you include photos, as always, I will uh, also publish it as an article on the website. And it is my favorite thing to do on this podcast, telling your guys' stories I much prefer that to, uh, reading my own stuff. So yeah, please keep them coming through. If you know somebody that has a story that you think should be told, um, encourage them to write it down and send it in. Or, uh, if you want, if you know somebody that has a story that you think should be told and you want me to write it, I'm open to that too. Um, I really enjoy telling your stories just the way that you guys send them in. But, uh, because it keeps it so interesting everybody writes differently and you know just the feel and the theme of every story is so much different it kind of keeps it interesting but uh, yeah that said if you want me to write a story um, you can nominate somebody put us in touch just email me jake at ironandsteel.com I'm open to all sorts of tomfoolery so uh, yeah let's just keep it going All right, all right. let's see this week oh yeah This is really, we're going to do something a little bit different and I'm excited about this. So, uh, for those of you that don't know pre like internet and pre social media, um, there were these things called books (laughs) and, uh, the whole idea with the book was like, you know, there's words inside and you would thumb through the pages and like read that way, like out of a book, like ink and paper. It's bizarre. I Trust me, I understand how foreign this might seem to some people, but uh, yeah, back before the internet, there, were a thing, there was a thing called books, and uh, I happen to be a big fan of books. I have hundreds and hundreds of them, and uh, believe it or not, one of my favorite books is a uh, book called Every Deal's Different, and it was written by a local guy here named Dale Matthews. And if you're local to the Pacific Northwest, Portland area, or beyond, um, and beyond I should say, you're probably familiar with Dale Matthews. Uh, He's a guy that's been around for 100 years dealing in classic cars. He owns a dealership called uh, Matthews Memory Lane. And uh, he's, I don't know, he's probably in his 80s. Um, He has more energy than probably most of you listening that are half his age. Uh, He's going 100% from the moment he wakes up until the moment he can't go any longer. And uh, he's dealt in tens of thousands of classic cars. And he's a really nice guy, super guy. Uh, He's become a pretty good friend of mine. And, uh, you know, actually my Phaeton, I bought that from Dale. It wasn't uh, a car that was at his dealership for sale. It was actually in his personal collection. And uh, belonged to a good friend of his that had passed away. And so through that process, I, uh, I became, you know, fairly close with Dale. I mean, we're not best friends or anything, but uh, I had always known that he was around. I've met him in passing uh, over the last 20 years that I've been interested in cars. But uh, I never knew him very well until the process of buying that car from him and uh, learned a lot about him. But uh, he wrote a book along the way. And like I said, it's called Every Deal's Different. And it's just cram-packed full of his stories of buying and selling classic cars. And it's it's awesome. It's fucking awesome. So uh, I think he wrote it in 2008 or 9, And uh, I remember like 2011 or 2012. I was going through a divorce. And uh, I remember going down... <laughs> to Dale's dealership specifically to buy this book because I just wanted something to read that was like light, uh, you know, something I would enjoy, lighthearted to kind of get my mind off of stuff. And so I picked up this book. I read it cover to cover. I loved it. And then somewhere in the last 10, 12 years or whatever, uh, I lost that book. I don't know what happened to it. And when I bought the Phaeton from Dale uh, a year or two ago, he gave me a copy of his book It was a very expensive book <laughs> But, uh, yeah I bought the car, he gave me the book And uh, encouraged me to read it And uh, I told him I had already read it Cover to cover, probably multiple times But uh, would be happy to revisit it And uh, I'm glad I did Because it's amazing So I'm going to read you one story uh, Out of that book today It's called Rodney the Roadster And it's about uh Dale Matthews 1936 Ford Roadster and uh yeah it's really great I think you're going to enjoy it so kick back and relax I'm going to read you one of Dale Matthews stories so here we go Okay, guys, here we go. Rodney the Roadster. Uh, In addition to my usual bear with me spiel, if I fumble over a word, uh, I'm going to have to add to the list. Bear with me if you hear pages rustling around because uh, we're reading this straight out of a book, which is a first here. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, so let's do it. Uh, When we get done, per usual, we'll jump into some Q&A. Had some good questions come through this week, so we'll do that. and Then we'll say our goodbyes. But uh, for now, kick back and relax. This is Rodney the Roadster, written by Dale Matthews. Here we go. Most people have an inexplicable desire to have their first car again. Or to have their father's car. The first one they learn to drive on. That year, that make, that model, and that color. Even if it was a 39 LaSalle that handled like a tank, smelled like pond scum, and the horn never worked. I can't even estimate how many times I've heard, quote, My dad had one just like this. Only it was green and it was a coupe instead of a sedan and it was a Plymouth. A car dealer cannot afford the luxury of falling in love with a car. A car collector can, and frequently they do. That's why they collect, but a car dealer can't afford to get infatuated with any car. The first time I saw it was Sunday afternoon in the autumn of 1970. Making a right-hand turn, headed east from 49th and Stark Street, one block from my house. California plates. A black top and a straight black body. Songwriters and psychologists have spent whole lifetimes trying to describe and analyze what happens to people when they experience love at first sight. I was on my way to breakfast with my buddy, John Coleman. I know that car, said John. He knew that Bob Elston had bought the car in California and was driving it on the streets of Portland. Back then, nearly 40 years ago, there were very few 36 Ford Roadsters in the Northwest. Maybe only three or four that were actually put together and in use. Today, I can count as many as 20 without hesitation. I didn't know Bob Elston. And my focus at the time had to be on business and staying afloat. Then I heard that the Black 36 was sold to a guy in Lebanon, Oregon. I knew this guy. It was Jim Blackwell. He was in the early Ford V8 club and traded cars left and right. You never knew what he had or was going to have, but it was always nice. It was about this time that the early Ford V8 Club was really gaining membership. Guys who were lucky enough to have the sheet metal got started assembling these cars along with most all of the popular Fords of the 30s and 40s. It sounds crazy to say, but there are 10 times more old Fords on the road today than there were back then. Restorers and street rotters have been hard at work saving these cars. They might buy the body in California, the chassis in Montana, and parts from Drake and or Carpenter, suppliers of reproduction parts. There are people who like working on them, people who like showing them, people who like driving them, people who prefer racing them, people who like investing in them, and then there are people who like flipping them. Now, fortunately, understanding this is not required. But my Sunday morning breakfast friend, John Coleman, was the kind who liked working on them. A former logger and truck driver, John had a two-car garage and he was devoted to making nice cars even nicer. He always had two old cars and never seemed to keep a car. He meticulously revamped a 36 Ford pickup, making it mechanically sound. And this was the vehicle he usually brought to breakfast at the Maple Leaf. John was a 36 Ford fanatic, and he had been collecting 36 new old stock Ford parts since the late 1950s. He would walk away from a swap meet with mirrors, taillights, door handles, heaters, and clocks parted out from 1936 Ford's. John also had a 35 Ford, a green 35 Ford two-door humpback sedan with its original paint. He had finished the mechanical work on this car too. And both of John's Fords were in fantastic shape. Imagine my surprise when He showed up one Sunday morning in 1971 driving the black 36 Ford Roadster from Lebanon, Oregon. He had apparently traded both of his vehicles for this car and he could not wait to show me. I was shocked. He had made the trade just the day before. I had no idea that he would trade his two beautiful cars for this Roadster. I knew the little car was in need of repair, but when John handed me the keys and I drove it around the block in southeast Portland, the diagnosis was worse than I thought. It needed a new clutch, the front end was loose, and the transmission was bad. In fact, it was totally unsafe for driving. Now, I knew this in my mind, but all my eyes could see was a beautiful black 36 Ford Roadster and I loved it. All the problems with the car and the trade for his two vehicles were okay with John. He was happy with the deal. He already had all the parts plus the knowledge to get the work done. And his finished pickup and humpback sedan were no longer as interesting to him as the chance to work on this Roadster. Each Sunday over breakfast for the next two years, we talked about the Roadster. John would keep me updated on what he had done over the last week. The parts he had installed were all genuine NOS, that is, new old stock, New, never been used, made by Henry Ford, glove box clock, or I'm sorry, glove box lock, clock face mirror, speedometer gauge, banjo wheel, and a 37 steering box. He also completely rebuilt the front end and transmission. About one year had gone by, and the only time I saw the car, it was a part with John working on it. Then one Sunday morning at the Maple Leaf here came John driving the roadster. John dressed it up with a very rare set of all chrome 36 Ford show wheels. The car looked totally stock and sat the stock height. You would have never expected to see a purring small block 283 Chevy motor We were both all smiles and congratulations as we went all over the details. We polished off eggs and pancakes, but I couldn't take my attention away from the restaurant window and the view of that car. After breakfast that Sunday, John let me drive the Roadster again. I could not believe the difference he had made It still needed paint, but it drove absolutely perfect. He let me drive it all day that Sunday. It helped that I had a new 72 Malibu SS convertible, and he enjoyed driving it for the day. From that Sunday on, all I could think of was being able to own that 36 Roadster. I couldn't afford it back then so I never told John that I wanted to buy it. In late January of 1973, he took the car to one of the best shops around at the time, Beards Body Shop. The car was painted in black lacquer. It looked beautiful was finished just in time for the 1973 Portland Roadster Show. Every year, body shops and auto upholsterers get pressured to finish big projects in time for this giant annual show. The body of the Roadster was never stripped, and painting lacquer over enamel was a bad idea. The Portland Roadster Show was a weekend event, and right before your eyes... You could see the paint lifting underneath the car show lights. From Friday until Sunday, the paint had turned over. Every inch of the body was affected. The roadster looked like it was covered in spider webs. Disappointed, John took the car back to the beard. He redid the whole car. It was okay after that, but not the quality John was hoping for, and he was quickly losing interest in the car. This was the turning point. See, I had not lost interest. Each Sunday, John would tell me that I should buy it, and I kept stalling him and stringing him along because... The only way I would be able to get this roadster was to borrow money. Even back then, if you had to borrow money to own an old car, maybe you should not be buying it. But this car was different. Sometimes John would bring the car to the restaurant and I had to deal with the ache when he drove away. I had wanted it for over three years now. And it was being offered just to me. I had to make it happen. I know this feeling. (laughs) Uh, Here we go. I was short by thousands of dollars. So in early October 1973, I went to the US National Bank and asked for a loan. $4,500 as partial payment to buy a 36 Ford Roadster. Now, to the bank, this was just a 37-year-old car. An old, used car and put together in somebody's garage. Back then, the banks did not lend money to people for buying old cars, but if your credit was good, they would give you a signature loan. I never understood their line of thinking, but it wasn't until the mid-80s that lending companies started lending on old cars. Anyway, I left the bank with a $4,500 cashier's check made out to myself, and the bank had given up caring what I was going to do with the money. Without saying a word to John, the next Sunday, I showed up for breakfast at the Maple Leaf with my 1949 Plymouth Convertible and that check for $4,500. I had, I had owned the Plymouth for about a month. My brother-in-law and best friend, Tom McBride, had just had it painted, but it still needed lots of work, plus a complete interior. Remember, a key element here was that John was one of the guys one of those guys who liked working on a good car. There was nothing left to do to my love interest, Roadster. There was plenty to do on the Plymouth. Now, John wasn't a Plymouth guy. He had no idea that this Sunday I was gonna own his 36 Roadster. Just like every Sunday, popped up with how I'd better buy his car because he was going to let it go. This time, I was ready. I said, John, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you'll take $4,500 and my Plymouth, I will buy that car right now. I took the check out of my pocket and laid it on the table. John looked outside at the Plymouth with all the enthusiasm of a man who had too much garlic salt on his eggs. <laughs> he just didn't want the Plymouth, but fortunately, he was pretty dedicated to re- <laughs> he was pretty dedicated to uniting me with that Ford. John felt if he could get $6000 from the Roadster, he would be happy to see me get the car. If lust for a car could somehow magically be turned into dollars, I could have paid for the 36 easily. Using the restaurant phone, John called his friend Frank Stone, who was at home about five blocks away. He said, Frank, I'm looking at a sweet Plymouth convertible over here at the Maple Leaf. I think I can get this car into your hands for $1,500. Frank Stone was another Wheeler dealer kind of guy. It took him less time. It took him less time to be sold on the Plymouth than it did for him to make it down to the restaurant. He was instantly in the mix and felt he could make a little money on the Plymouth. The deal was struck on the spot. Frank had the Plymouth. John had my check for forty-five hundred dollars, and Frank's fifteen hundred dollars in cash and I had the Roadster. What a great day that was. October 8th, 1973. From that time on, over the next 20 months, all I had to do to the Roadster was drive it and enjoy it. And that's just exactly what I did. When friend uh, Doug Dixon showed up on one Friday afternoon and said, Let's take that roadster of yours and hit the road. My only question was which way? Any which way, he said. Let's just go. Now when you're in your 30s, you think of things like this. We decided Spokane, Washington for no particular reason. We didn't know why. We just wanted to be two guys in a great old car. But as we headed east out of Portland on I-84, the sky kept getting darker and darker. We were just past Multnomah Falls when raindrops first hit the windshield. We both agreed that it was stupid to continue. At least in that direction. So we turned the roadster around and headed west back to Portland. As we looked to the south, the sky was clear. Let's go to Reno, Doug said. I don't think either one of us realized that it was ten more hours of driving. (laughs) But as we headed south on I-5, the weather kept getting better and better. When we reached Eugene, it was about 8 p.m. When we decided to drop the top, keep on trucking. We drove the little Ford all the way down I-5 to Highway 89 to US 395 into Reno. We stopped to take pictures of the car with worthy backgrounds, Mount Shasta, an old post office on Highway 44, and under the lights in front of the MGM Grand Hotel. We (coughs) We arrived in Reno around 5 a.m. Saturday morning. Gambled until we could finally get a hotel room at 2 p.m. Took a nap. Played again until midnight. Slept until 8 a.m. Sunday. Jumped in the little car and headed home. (laughs) sounds awesome. The roadster got the star treatment. Parked under the... uh, Parked under the... Porte cochere. <laughs> I'm mispronouncing that. At the MGM, so that the front desk and bellhops could watch it. I left the building with $300 more than when I arrived, but anyone would have felt lucky to to have the keys to that 36 in their pocket. Came back on Highway 395 through Klamath Falls. Stopped for dinner in Bend. And a guy asked us, which way you headed? Hopefully, not over Mount Hood. We left Bend at five, and it was two miles per hour all the way up the mountain snow coming down and snow on the ground. No side curtains, snow blowing into the car, snow blowing through the top of the windshield and canvas. No snow tires, no chains, no traffic, no cops. But the worst of it was imagining losing the car over a white embankment. And we had been soured by a little rain. And we had been soured by a little rain in the gorge just two days before this. Back then, the state of Oregon didn't own much snow removal equipment. And the general attitude was yo-yo. That is, you're on your own there was only one way to go and only one thing to do finish it you couldn't turn around a three hour trip took us seven hours the car performed perfectly it was only the nuts in the seats that had questionable judgment In April, 1975, after much cleaning and polishing, the roadster was ready to attend the car show that was part of the Portland SWAT meet. On the first weekend in May, 1975, Vern Lamorand, a Portland car dealer, came to my front door and said he wanted to buy my car. He said he had sold his 36, wanted another one, and was willing to pay me $13,000 for mine. I couldn't believe it. I had only paid $6,000 just two years before, and $13,000 was a lot of cash in 1975. And it was the one time in my life when I thought like a car dealer, and later wished that I hadn't. As I watched my roadster drive down 48th Street where I lived, I had this check in my hand for $13,000. For some reason, I began to think. The guy across the street had $13,000. The guy at the gas station had $13,000. Lots of my friends had $13,000. Now I had $13,000. But I didn't have that car. I swear this is the truth. I cried and cried and cried that evening over selling that car. Less than one week later, I found out just why Vern was so anxious to get his hands on the pink slip of My Black Roadster. Vern had sold his red Roadster to a man in Hood River named Bob Thompson. That part was true. He also said that he wanted my 36 so much because he missed his red car. The truth was he only bought mine to save face. I don't know if you guys can hear birds chirping in the background, but I'm down here in the clunker bunker down in the shop, and there's like five birds going nuts outside the door for some reason. So, uh, if you hear that, my apologies. Anyway, the truth was, he only bought mine to save face. The deal went sour when Bob Thompson discovered all of the rust under the red car. He was not happy with Vern. Bob had seen my roadster on display at the April car show in Portland. He told Vern, "If I could get that black roadster I saw at the show, I'd pay ten thousand dollars plus give you plus give you back this red 36." It took exactly two days for all of this to get back to me. I decided I needed to know Bob Thompson. <clears throat> my friend Terry Tyndall, longtime lover of old cars and part-time car flipper, was a member of the early Ford V8 Club. And when he sold his car to a Bob Thompson in Hood River and was delivering it, I decided to ride along. Meeting Bob for the first time felt like I'd known him forever. He was about my size, my height, my age native Oregonian and he was a compulsive collector. His passions at the time were swords and big game hunting. (laughs) That's weird. Now his compulsion compulsion had switched to cars and he wanted classics. 55 through 57 T-Birds, 57 Chevys, 32 Fords, He could buy anything he wanted, and he wasn't necessarily a Ford guy. Eventually, when he tired of collecting cars, he switched to tractors, and at last count, had about a hundred of them. That sounds way less exciting. (laughs) From the first time I met him, I let Bob Thompson know how much I wanted to buy back my black roadster. Meanwhile, over the years, I tried replacing the Roadster with all kinds of cars. I flew to El Centro, California, and drove home a very rare 39 Ford convertible sedan, but it was not my black 36. Then I tried a 62 Corvette, and that wasn't even close to what I had had with the 36. From there, I tried a black 37 Ford Cabriolet that didn't do it either a 39 Ford Convertible a 32 Ford phaeton and a few others still no car ever did it for me the way that Roadster did Bob Thompson collected cars in the mid 70's and had quite a few in his pool building on his orchard slash farm. He invited several of the car clubs to his place in Hood River during the Blossom Festival. On occasion, someone would recognize the roadster and say that they knew the car, that it was, quote, Matthew's old car. And Bob told them that if he ever sold it, he would sell it back to me. Many cruise-ins passed, swap meets, and auctions came and went. Many cars came into my hands and were flipped. My personal garage, however, sat empty. I got a call at the Chev store on Saturday, December 2nd, 1978. Tomorrow's your birthday, isn't it? bob thompson calling from hood river always has been i told him yeah well this is the call you've been waiting for would you like to buy your roadster back twenty thousand dollars flashed through my mind that is how much he had in it and that's how much i knew i didn't have but my mouth answered without hesitation, yes. Bob hadn't put 200 miles on the car. <laughs> including That's including the 85 miles to Hood River when he bought it. I told Bob that all my money was tied up in three antique cars and I would trade them or sell them to get the Roadster. You can have them all, I heard myself saying. Bob said he just wanted me to have the car back. You know I need $20,000 to come out on that car, and I can wait a while on the money. I promised I'd pay him within six months. But I want you to come to Hood River tomorrow so you can have the car for your birthday, he said. On Sunday, December 3rd, 1978, My wife, Patty, and I got into my El Camino and headed to Hood River. To all outward appearances, I probably looked like a normal adult driving up I-84. Of course, I couldn't wait to get started, then couldn't wait to get to Bob's Farm. There was a part of me that was about to right a terrible wrong that I had done. This was the part of me that could not be appeased by any other car, no matter what the value. It was as if Bob Thompson was offering to give something of my life back. The part of me that had sold the car, that part of me, I don't think that part was even in the El Camino that day. I was a man on a mission his birthday the December weather had turned bad and by the time we got to Hood River it was apparent that there was no way I could drive the 36 back to Portland in pelting sleet well Bob had that figured out too when we pulled into the driveway of his farm the little black roadster was already loaded in his brand new enclosed trailer completely covered, tied down ready for highway travel. This rig was hooked up to his new four-wheel drive van, full of gas and ready to head back to Portland. Bob was not only letting me take the roadster with no money up front, but he was lending me his brand new van and trailer to get it home. What an absolutely amazing thing to do. I was so far beyond grateful that I was having a hard time believing what was happening. As we were standing in the garage, Bob said to me, let's just make the price $19,000. $1,000 will be my first right of refusal if you ever want to sell the car. I could feel the muscles tighten in my chest. I looked at the outline of the distinctive Greyhound hood ornament under the car cover, and I said, I will never sell this car again. Only four short months went by and my words were tested. In the April 1979, or I'm sorry, in April 1979, at the Portland SWAT meet, Bob Elston the same guy who had bought the 30s, brought the 36 to Portland in the first place hit me up to sell the car. I hadn't even po- fully paid for it, and already here was a guy so in love with this car he was willing to give me $30,000 in cash and even throw in an antique Coke machine. Unfortunately for him, he wasn't even close. No amount of money was going to make me sell that car again. Within the agreed-upon six months, I paid Bob Thompson and once more, owned the Roadster fully. Our local chapter of the early Ford V8 Club agreed to host the Western National Regional Meet in 1979. I was on the committee to promote this event to other club chapters around the U.S. Since the festivities were going to be held at Ben's Resort, the Inn of the Seventh Mountain, we chose a cowboy, a Wild West theme. Of course, we sent posters and invitations, but we also included a slideshow with an audio tape. The title of the meet was Roundup Time in Seventy Nine. Our audio visual show started with a cowboy hat perched on the hood of a 36 Ford. Using my best Western radio voice, I started the tape with, hello there, I'm Rodney the Roadster, just possibly the only talking 36 Ford Roadster left in existence today. The slides showed sunny Central Oregon and explained what a good time everybody was gonna have. All the committee members had special event white straw hats, cowboy style. The tape and package of slides were sent out to Ford Chapters all over the US and Canada. From that slide presentation, people just assumed that it was my 36 Roadster with the hat that we were calling Rodney. The Rodney name was for this one show in 79 and I had no idea it was going to stick. And as a side note, it was actually Don and Sharon Criswell's dark blue 36 Ford Roadster that was wearing the cowboy hat in those photographs. From that time on, however, people began calling my car Rodney. I liked the name too and for the past 28 years... I've also called my car, Rodney, the Roadster. Shortly after the Big Bend event, I opened Matthews Car Company on Foster Road in Portland, selling nothing but old cars. And my 36 Roadster became my company logo. I started using images of Rodney the Roadster on my business cards and stationery. I stitched it on my company shirts and sweaters, painted it on billboards, and even printed on personalized, printed it on personalized postage stamps. Rodney was the ambassador for every facet of my business. Over the past thirty years, <clears throat> I have never owned anything that has meant more to me than this 36 Ford. I think about how so many cars have gone through my hands and for some reason I've kept this one. Why has this little roadster been the one that I've held on to above all others? I don't know and it still mystifies me. Now, if I have some sort of pain or I don't feel well personally, I just figure, "Oh heck, I'll probably be okay tomorrow." This may not be rational, but let that little car so much as hiccup just once. And I got to get it fixed today. And yes, I've poured more money into that, poured more money into it than some people spend on their kids' college educations. But when you cr- when you close the trunk lid with the touch of one finger... That sound is as quiet as a kiss. And to me, just as lovely. I've always said, if God had a 36 Roadster, this one would be his. Okay guys there you have it rodney the roadster again that was written by dale matthews kind of a local legend up here in the portland area uh, dale's been around for a thousand years everybody knows him everybody loves him uh, just a character all-around good guy pretty tough to have a good reputation as a car dealer but uh, he certainly does and uh, that was just one of a few dozen stories he wrote and published in a book called every deal's different the dale matthews story and uh, you can actually buy that book for yourself if you want on his website, memorylaneclassiccars.com. And uh, you can go to my website as well, ironandsteel.com. I did sort of a uh, wrote kind of a <clears throat> introduction to Dale Matthews in this book, like a half assed book review. That's uh, you know worth your time. It's a short, just a little quickie. Some photos in there, but uh, Dale, all-around good guy, and uh, very honored to call him a friend. He's actually, <laughs> one of the things that he does, this will paint a pretty good picture of what Dale Matthews is all about. He's one of these guys that's just like kind of quirky and he's always writing like little jingles and songs and stuff. And he actually wrote a little poem, I guess, about the uh, the roadster that I just read you that story about. <laughs> it's in the book too. It goes like this. <laughs> it's what Dale has to say. On this little car, there's not one part that I don't love with all my heart. (laughs) From its clock face mirror to its neat little heater, I never owned a car I thought was any sweeter. It's got a laser straight body as sleek as a fox, a two-speed rear axle, and a Cat LaSalle box. Small block Chevy under the hood, a 283 and it runs real good. The suspension is stock and it's all working well and when the time comes to sell it will be a cold day in hell (laughs) anyway that's what Dale Matthews is all about (coughs) he's uh, he's a pretty awesome guy I'll read you guys some more of his stories in the future I thought the Roadster story was great he's got thousands of stories Uh, he's documented a few and uh, I'll share those with you over the next few months so all right, let's jump into some Q and a, uh, let's see. We'll probably make it kind of quick or kind of running a little bit long, but, uh, we'll just jump in here and then we'll say our goodbyes. Okay, let's go. Uh, first question was opinion on Kobe's coupe. Uh, the one that just won good guys. So yeah, I'm sure you guys are familiar with this car, uh, uh 33 or 34. I don't remember. <clears throat> um, five-window coupe. It's the one with the crazy paint on it. Uh, South City built it, and uh, it is absolutely out of this world, in my opinion. Uh, Whether you love it or you hate it, you have to respect it. My personal opinion, I love it, honestly. It is so out there, and it's so difficult to build a car now that's any different in any significant way and that car's just a fucking knockout period and you know the i haven't seen the car in person but i guarantee the craftsmanship is 10 out of 10 uh the guys that had their hands on that car are all phenomenal builders there's very few things that i can think of that even come close uh to what that car has accomplished so my opinion on kobe's coupe I think it rules, and uh, I think even if you don't like it personally, you better at least have some respect for it because to have the balls to do something like that uh, is pretty significant. So I love it. I think it's great, and uh, if you don't like it, you're probably just a jealous hater (laughs) would be my guess. Uh, Let's see. Another 33, 34 question. Have you ever had a 33 or 34 Ford Ford? Are you not into them? Uh, I've, I don't think I've ever had a 33 or 34. Uh, I do like them. I just like 36 is better. 33 and 34 Fords kind of went bonkers. I mean, they've always been popular, but they went fucking nuts. Like in the last, I don't even know, five, six, seven years. So, um, yeah, they went through the roof price wise. You know, I don't love them enough to... Spend stupid guy money on one. Uh, I, you know, Kobe's coupe is bitching. Cedric Meeks obviously built a killer one. Uh, a few more, you know, that kind of have come out in the last few years that are pretty over the top. Uh, Chris Swenson has a beautiful roadster. I mean, there's no denying these cars are gorgeous. I, I don't dislike them, but uh, I just like 36 Fords better. And so, if it comes to like you can spend this much money. Like if I have X amount of money squirreled away for a car, <clears throat> there's very few situations I can think of where I'm going to choose a 33 or 34 over like a 35 or 36. That, that's just me. Next question was any low rider stories coming up. You can't be a fan of custom cars without at least acknowledging low riders. Uh, I've never been really into the lowrider stuff, but uh, I've, you know, obviously can respect it. There's the same level of craftsmanship and the same level of history associated with lowriders. Just uh, the same as hot rods and classic cars, but or hot rods and custom cars, I should say. Um, for that type of stuff, 46 to 64 on Instagram uh, is that's the spot uh, that dude's been documenting lowrider and custom car history very, very well. And, uh, I'll leave the lowrider stuff to him cause he does a great job. Uh, if you could own one historic car, what would it be? Tough choice, but, uh, probably the Pearson car. Uh, next question was, do you have any stories about haunted cars or have you had ever had anything like that happen? Never had a haunted car. I've got a bunch of, uh, haunting stories like ghost related stories, but, uh, very few car-related, none that are specifically related to a car, but uh, we can get more into that in a future episode. Um, let's just do one more, it's more of a comment. It just says, please don't, please don't stop making these. I look forward to this every week. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. There were a few more questions and comments that came through. I get a lot of unsolicited uh, messages just saying that people enjoy the podcast i really do appreciate that kind of keeps me going if the one thing if there is one thing i could ask though uh don't just tell me if you enjoy this stuff tell your friends tell your family please repost this stuff on social media uh share the links and uh just in general help me keep this going and uh please don't be shy about sending sending in your own stories jake at ironandsteel.com. Uh, I would love to tell as many of your guys' stories as I possibly can. So, all right. On that note, I want to say thank you again for joining me this week. Greatly appreciated as always. Keep your stories coming in. Tell your friends, tell your family, subscribe on the website, subscribe and follow the podcast. That's all I got. Thank you guys again. Genuinely, I do appreciate it. I'll be back with you again in seven days. Peace.